Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 96 of the F1 show for coverage of us. I mean, for coverage of everything. Yeah, the mid-season 2011 update. I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. How is everybody? And there's plenty to talk about. Of course, uh, we are, what, three weeks into the break here. Um, We've all sort of turned on our TVs on Sunday afternoon and, you know, it's just been rubbish instead of F1. Uh, so we, you know, I do now have a lovely set of knives, though. Oh, good. Yes. So the Home Shopping Channel has Cut made its way concrete. to you. It's really something. So you should see how easily it slices through tomatoes. It's Those are usually so difficult. <laughs> yes. So in the spirit of that, we want to give you guys some news and updates, uh, things that have happened so far. And actually, here's a statistic for you. This is the second time only that we've recorded an F1 show on a Saturday. Normally, wow. of course, it's Sundays. That's after the race, right? Naturally, right. Uh, sometimes even Mondays or Tuesdays when it's when we've got to do it late. But uh, the last time was the United States Grand Prix when we did pseudo live coverage. Yes. after qualifying in the hotel room in Indianapolis. So there you go. And hopefully next year we will have the same from the Austin Grand Prix track. But more on that later. So we have uh, compiled statistics essentially on comparing teammates this year, right? Because everyone's closest rival really is their teammate um, because you have ideally the same car or at least a very, very similar car to him. And, you know, how do you do in the machinery versus how does he, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And as a result, what we are going to bring to you today is both subjective and objective opinions on within the team, which driver is doing better and why. Yes, and uh, so there's a whole bunch to share about that. We actually did this last year uh, around midseason, and uh, it was some interesting, you know, a lot of things that you expect, but there's a few surprises in there and sort of numbers you maybe hadn't thought of. Yeah, and I think that will be the case again today. Yes, and then uh, also we've got some updates on the 2012 calendar, and of course we'll hear from you and everything else. But I think basically to start, um, you know, I think we a lot of us have a good sense for what's going on at the top of the field in terms of teammates and so on. So I think we actually start at the bottom and work our way up there and... Uh, you know, see what happens, see see what we learn along the way. Agreed. And almost right at the beginning, for me, uh, who's at the bottom is a little bit of a surprise. Um, it's not HRT, but it is, in fact, Virgin at the bottom. And uh, the reason why that's surprising is both last year and this year, uh, HRT's existence wasn't even certain, let alone its ability to compete. Um, but I guess what maybe does tell a little bit of the story as well is the Virgin car was the uh, the no wind tunnel car, and maybe that is just uh, just another way of looking at, you know, maybe that is a viable way of of designing a car. Yes, okay. perhaps the wind tunnel still has some use after all. So, teammate wise, the two team the two uh, drivers for Virgin are Jerome D'Ambrosio and Timo Glock. And as you'd kind of expect, Ambrosio being uh, brand new and Glock being a you know pretty pretty well a veteran of F1 these days, uh, Timo Glock outqualified Jerome nine times to two out of the eleven rounds. Yes, um, and then went on to outperform him um, six times to four. Okay, so then you know they're the. Those, of course, only add up to 10. We've had 11 rounds because there are some cases where, like, neither car finished, and uh, we sort of didn't really you know, consider that a, uh, right. a victory one over the other. Um, neither one has any points, uh, and as it happens with the, uh, you know, finishing positions, they're 22nd and 24th in the championship. So that doesn't matter. But so that, what that tells you, though, is there were two times that uh, Glock out-qualified D'Ambrosia, but Jerome went on to actually perform better in the race. So not as strong a qualifier, not as strong single lap pace, but, you know, it's with the back of the field. There's of course lots that can go on. They lots can, affect... can go on. Lots of reliability issues. Yeah, yeah. But 
so you know, solid solid for D'Ambrosio, I think, for um, for making some good race lemonade out of his qualifying lemons, if you will. But yes. uh, overall, I mean, Glock a much much stronger qualifier. Which again, just like you said at the beginning, makes sense. Glock has the experience at Toyota. He also has some prior experience um, around. He's been around Formula One for a little while. Um, also, the thing that is actually being talked about in the news a little bit, the fact that there's no testing in season makes it a lot harder for a rookie driver to catch up to a seasoned driver. However, um, as we will see as we go through this, that is not uh, something that not, you know, some drivers Some rookies are that. amazing. Exactly. So, uh, I guess from the subjective standpoint then, who do you, who do you give credit to? Who, who's a better driver on the team here? I mean, Timo Glock. I, I mean, I agree. Yeah. I think so. You know, it, it, he's qualified very consistently. I think he obviously can give the team a lot more feedback and everything else. And especially, like you said, down at the bottom of the grid, it's really hard to uh, to look at championship position and say, all right, how much is that is DNFs and how much of that is you know, actual performance. Yeah, I mean, because like there's, there's the driver, but then, of course, the car being reliable and then just a team and, you know, tire changes and, and slow pit stops. I mean, there's there's lots of things that uh, can be factors there. So, um, yeah, I think well, let's move on to HRT. Um, you know, as you said, we're the, we're the total backmarkers last year and are the second backmarkers now this year. Um, qualifying is a very one-sided story here with Tony Aliuzzi uh, out-qualifying his teammates 10 out of 11 rounds, and the only time that, yes. that he wasn't the winner was because neither car qualified. So Aliuzzi, basically 100% qualifying record. But let's consider his teammates, Narain Karthikeyan, um, who's just... You know, was out of the sport for a couple of years, never that solid a performer. And, and then, his most recent experience is in the Camping World truck, truck Series, which is NASCAR mm-hmm. trucks over here in the States. And then Daniel Ricciardo in his, like, first Grand Prix qualifyings ever. And then, like you said, with no testing, but to come in in the middle of a season to, to, to come in. So Absolutely. You, I, I think with Liuzzi, when we came up with that number, I'd sort of like, you kind of hope so with a driver like Liuzzi, with the experience he's had um, in better cars. And, yeah, he's in a low-end team right now, but... I would hope that he's qualifying really well. And um, race finish-wise, though, he's only finished ahead of his teammates five times. Um, Karthikeyan uh, twice and Ricardo twice, um, you know, being behind him. Um, but Ricardo two finishes ahead of Liuzzi, that's out of three races. That is a very, very solid performance for Ricardo in terms of finishing position. True. So I think it's only a matter of time till Daniel Ricardo starts out-qualifying Liuzzi and gets moved up to Red Bull or whatever. Possibly. And certainly Ricardo definitely seems to have a much brighter future ahead of him because of his ties with Red Bull, because of his age and everything else. Liuzzi, in some senses, have already, has already had his chance to shine. He didn't quite do that. So he certainly is a solid performer. Uh, I think, in my opinion, you still kind of have to give Liuzzi the nod. He has been kind of carrying the team for the whole season. Karthikan seems like a great guy and everything else, but just I don't think quite up to Formula One standards. I think he's in the sport. Now, because he's Indian and because there's some Indian marketing ties, and that really is about it. He's older. He's not super quick. Liuzzi is solid, but I don't think – it's not like we're going to see Liuzzi knocking on the door of a top team anytime soon. So I think Liuzzi has to be given the strongest uh, team-made uh, award, but I think at the same time, certainly 
Ricardo has a brightest future. Yeah, when you look at the trajectory, I think it's pretty clear. Daniel Ricardo certainly on the way up in Leuzzi, kind of, you know, in the uh, in, in the Rubens Barrichello years of his career, if you will. Certainly, certainly, without the Rubens Barrichello age and experience, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, next up the list is sort of the last of the three new teams, and that is Lotus Renault. So certainly, uh, this is what we've got. Kovalainen, much, much stronger qualifier than Truly. Now, Truly, his traditional strength has been qualifying. But this year, he's had a lot of complaints. He's been very consistent about complaining about the power steering and the feel he's getting from the steering wheel. And that has kept him from being able to push. And I think, yeah, the different brake material from what he was used to. and some I mean, he seems to have several technical uh, excuses, basically, for his performance. Sure. Saying, like, no, the pace is there. If only we can fix X. And then if we can fix Y. And then if we can fix Z. But the bottom line is Kovalainen has outqualified truly 10 to 1. Right. And truly, uh, truly, I think, is one of those guys where he's very, very good, very knowledgeable, very capable of technical feedback and knowing what the car is doing very well, having a very sharp understanding of balance and all those things. But that equally makes him more sensitive to it than, than other drivers. So Kovalainen in general is more capable of adapting around those um, around those situations. Interestingly, though, we have, the, again, the same situation where Truly has been able to uh, out-finish Kovalainen. Which is funny because Kovalainen is Finnish. <laughs> so it's weird. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so Truly has five higher race finishes than Kovalainen. Kovalainen, you know, four out of the five, uh, four out of 11, and Truly five out of 11 races. Um, so, yeah, Truly not a strong qualifier, but I think maybe it's just the experience or whatever it is. I mean, he's, um, you know, he's sort of always there at the finish somehow. I mean, Kovalainen's had some, yeah, you know, okay. dramatic incidents and various things. But, uh, yeah, I mean, five, five teammate wins, I guess we'll call it to four. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's solid for Truly. I mean, I, I want to be uh, a Truly fan. I actually kind of was when he was a Toyota because I was sort of a Toyota fan. And he was a stronger driver there. but um, And he had some great drives at Renault as well. But, I mean, it, it's again, it's not – he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's had his chance. He no. was at Renault, you know, back in the day. He right. won at Monaco. He sort of – he was, you know, teammates with some of the best of – I mean, Kovalainen was in a McLaren, like, not right. long ago. Right, But, right. I mean, these guys have both had their chances, um, and it's – they're, I think – these might be some of the best guys that Lotus could ask for in terms of car development, in terms of, of just pace and getting, you know, it seems like if anyone can get something out of these cars, these guys could um, because they've had some really solid performances. Yeah. But uh, they're, they're, they're not. Um, and I think, you know, the car's just not up to it. Right. And I think to that point, I think there's no reason why if, if Mike Gascoigne really can carry Lotus in the near future to a mid pack team, there's no reason for them to get rid of. Kovalainen in that process. It's not like, oh, well, now we deserve a mid-pack driver. I think Kovalainen certainly has earned his place in the team. And again, we're not doing this entirely scientifically, but my recollection is that Kovalainen has had a lot of DNFs that were, you know, you know, the car failing or being run into, like a lot of DNFs that weren't really his fault. Yeah. So I think Definitely, you got to give the nod to Kovalainen in, in terms of being the strongest teammate at Lotus. Um, if that is because Truly has had issues with power steering and stuff like that, well, that's life. You've had those issues, that's too bad, but Kovalainen has delivered mm-hmm. much better this year. And uh, Chandok also stepped in for Truly for one race, and uh, Kovalainen uh, clearly out for Chandok as well. Not really fair 
to Chandok. Uh, but again, that's life. So uh, I, I certainly give the nod to Kovalainen here. Yeah, and as, it, as they are classified by Formula 1, truly is 19th in the championship um, based on his stronger finishing point positions compared to Kovalainen, who's 23rd in the championship. So, uh, you know, that's we're, we're not yet to the point where anyone has points uh, on the board yet. Yes. But let's get there uh, with the next team up, uh, which is Williams-Cosworth. Um, and it's funny looking at where Williams was a couple years ago, the fact that they're now the worst of the established teams, yeah, if you will. that's amazing. Um, you know, the only team with points on the board, but they've only got four points. Uh, so there's, you know, I think we all sort of know that Rubens Barrichello is going to be a strong, uh, you know, a strong force in that team. Uh, but qualifying-wise, man, Pastor Maldonado really does really does hold his own. Absolutely. Maldonado is actually out-qualified Barrichello. He's got six. Uh, he's, he's out-qualified Barrichello six times to five, so... Really not bad. Um, Barrichello definitely has been more consistent with race finishes and, uh, you know. And points, and which points. is what really ultimately matters. So, yeah, with Maldonado um, has only outfinished Barrichello twice to seven times for Rubens. And, I mean, at the end of the day, what really matters is that uh, Barrichello has scored all four points for the team, putting him in a lowly 17th spot in the championship, but that's higher than the 21st spot for Maldonado. Um I don't think we need to really go into the trajectories of careers too much <laughs> between Pastor Maldonado and Rubens Barrichello. Um, but, I mean, it's I, I feel for Rubens. Like, you know, there's a lot of drivers like, like Kovalainen. You know, he was in a McLaren, and now he's in a Lotus. And, man, that must be frustrating for him because, like, think about where he was. But, but I mean, Rubens is really, like, I mean, he just seems like the nicest guy. Um, seems like a real, you know, someone that, like, you could totally hang out with and would be totally cool. Like, how he's offered his jet to other people getting out of Brazil and, like, you know, all these different, like, random right, things but- where he just, like, comes across as, like, a really just, like, a nice dude. That that sentence you just said is kind of one of the reasons why I don't feel bad for him. He owns a jet. So it's not like he's had a tough go in the grand scheme of life. He's also 40. He also had, what, five years in a Ferrari where he was winning races and stuff. And, yes, he was in Schumacher's shadow, but so was Massa, and Massa did okay with it. And Yeah, I th- and after all that, you hate to go out like a punk. Well, yeah, but... One of the Williams, which seems like, you know, it's Williams, you know? Like, how can but, Williams not be good? But, but Willi- it's Williams, but and Williams, they're not good. Williams has been on this downward trajectory since Montoya left the team, really. And, you know, so Barrichello had his time at Honda, which didn't do so well. And then he had the, you know, the stint when it became Braun in 2009. And you're like, oh, he still kind of got stuff. That's cool. Yeah, when the car works, man, he's right there. And that's and why I think it's, it's frustrating for him to be in a situation where the car is no good. Well, last year he was in the Williams and he had some good, strong performances. And there was this real, like, kind of like, oh, the Williams is looking kind of okay. And I've always liked the look of the Williams car. It always looks like a good-looking design. And then this year they had this really tiny, tiny little gearbox that was supposed to be really promising because it was going to allow... The rear diffuser to work really effectively because it can be so much bigger because the gearbox isn't in the way and the rear wings can be able to do all this kind of crazy stuff. But it just isn't working. So, yeah, it's kind of unfortunate. But at the same time, I have to say he's 40. He's been in the se- he's been in the sport for, what, 18 seasons? This is his 19th? He's just, on his, like, 600th Grand Prix. Or yeah, it's yeah. Just in, it's just crazy how much time he's had in the car. So, yeah. You definitely feel for him because, like, it, it's so – it's definitely imp- – he's he gets the Mario Andretti Award, right? Like, that fire still burns to race even after all these years. He keeps going and going and going. And to be fair to Mario, he was 54 before he retired from Champ Car. So Ruben still has a long way to go. And I doubt he's got another 14 seasons in F1 in him. But um, the point is, it, I have a lot of respect for him. I can kind of see what you're saying about feeling bad for him. 
But at the same time, I also kind of like, well, he, he also made some decisions that brought him to this point. He did his thing. Yeah. I see that. And uh, uh, Maldonado giving kind of the rookie slack has done pretty well. You I mean, know, to out-qualify someone who has that much experience as Barrichello does, you know, more times than not, that's that's very solid for uh, very solid for Pastor. Yes. And every time I read his name, it makes me hungry for Tacos al Pastor because I see that <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that sounds good. Ooh, what if we got Pastor on pizza? Not, whoa. That's just, that's... I don't want to blow your mind too early. Too late. <laughs> so... Cut Williams has four points in the championship, and then the next uh, next team up, we end up in eighth spot in the championship, where we're starting to get into sort of more reasonable points, and that is STR Ferrari. STR. With uh, 22 championship points. Um, and this is one where you know, I was like, I think these guys are pretty close, um, but but they're really not. Yeah, that's what was interesting. I mean, in some ways they are. It always seemed, I, I think they are really close, but certainly Boemi seems to have had the edge most of the time. But they are definitely they they definitely are close. So first of all, they're thirteenth and fourteenth in the championship, with twelve and ten points respectively between Buemi and Algeshwari. So that is very close. But Buemi has outqualified Algeshwari eight times mm-hmm. and uh, outfinished him in the race seven times. So only out of one of those times did Algeshwari end up yeah moving ahead of Buemi in the race. Yeah, I mean, I, you really have to give this one to Buemi. This is one of those where you're looking through the numbers, and it was like, you know, because the end result is that only, like, there's only two points difference, and they're right next to each other in the team, and it's not a situation where there's the one veteran and the one rookie. I mean, they really came in about the same they're time. They're both really young. And uh, and, and came together. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Buemi really seems to just be coming up with better results right now. That's, I think, all you can really say about yeah, that. Yeah, and at the same time, you said between the 13th and the 14th, Buemi is 13th. And it's interesting because Buemi's, what, all of 23 years old or something like that, but he's been in the sport for three or four years now. Yeah. And Al Jaswari, you know, he's, what, is he even 21 yet? He's like 20, I think, maybe, yeah, 19. Yeah. Good Lord. I don't want to talk about them anymore. Kids these days. Ah. Ah, it's just the worst. Uh, Next up the list, we've got Force India Mercedes. Ah, yes. 26 points on the board in total. And, uh... You know, again, one of those that you sort of like. I think these guys are pretty close, and uh, and I think at the beginning of the season, Sutil was really strong, but Deresta has has really come on, and uh, you know, in terms of qualifying pace, um, and out qualified Sutil seven times to four. So this is, I mean, Deresta isn't a fully fledged rookie exactly the way D'Ambrosia is, but pretty close. And Deresta has been a rock star. He's been extremely solid, confident, good feedback in the car, excellent qualifying results. Good race finishes. He's got more points than Sutil. No, he doesn't. Oh, sorry, he doesn't. You're you're right. He's out qualified Sutil seven to four. Yes, but he has not out finished him in the race. But he is. He certainly. I think you got to look at uh, some of the individual race results and look at Deresta's luck and kind of like the. He's gotten into some tangles and he stuff like that. He kind of gets like the line in a situation of... A little bit. Yeah, issues that aren't, uh, aren't of his doing. Um, but yeah, I mean, so they are, these guys are pretty close. I mean, it ends up with I mean, Sutil with 18 points. Um, and, and this, uh, well, to finish the thought, compared to 8 points for Deresta, which puts Sutil in 12th and Deresta in 16th in right. the championship. I was dyslexic. I was looking at those things backwards. Yeah, it's kind of weird the way that's formatted. Sorry about that. But um, this is one of those teams, I mean, just looking through the results that... Sometimes they're in Q3, and sometimes they're like 17th and 20th. I uh-huh. mean, they really have on and off days. So as far as Sutil's points over Duresta's, 
um, are partly his his solid performances, but it really seems like he happened to be the guy who was ahead when the car was working that that weekend. It's yeah. like it really was just either, either the development race or, or weather sensitivity or tire sensitivity, but those cars sometimes were brilliant and sometimes were just really, really bad. And uh, so I think... Um, like like a lot of these, I mean, Duresto's really on the way up. This is his first full season. Uh, he was test driver for Force India last year and uh, and always did show some promise. And, of course, he, he took Liuzzi's seat uh, at uh, at Force India. But, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, Sutil was able to just finish more races ahead of Duresta by, by one race, and he's got more points in the bag. So I really have to say, I mean, that, that's a tall man, Adrian Sutil. Yeah, I, that, is, that is something to, to consider, to be sure. But so... so Looking at the numbers, it's it's very tempting to give the to Satil, but I, I really have to say, I think if you really look at everything that has happened, Deresta has been the much more impressive team teammate of the Force India team. I, I really have to give this one to Deresta, despite the difference in points and the difference in uh, championship position, because um, this this guy is a rookie that has been putting that Force India really high up on the grid. Um, really not buckling under pressure at all. Uh, solid in front of uh, media. I, I think he's a very, very strong um, uh, driver to have, especially considering that he's a rookie. I, I think I have to give this to DeResta. He's just not doing as well as Sutil yet this season. So you like him. He's not as good. Fair From enough. No, I like him, and I think he's better than Sutil, but that the circumstances have been as such to give Sutil the better numbers. All right. Fair enough. Next up the list is Sauber, um, where we've got Kobayashi, who has become the veteran of the team, which is kind of funny because he's you know this is still his second full season, relatively yeah. very quite new, yeah, very quite. Mm. Um, but but Sergio Perez, who obviously stole your race seat originally, bastard, um, and has really gone on to be very very strong against Kobayashi with six out qualifies to to Kobayashi's five, considering that. Um, that Perez did not uh, was not able to qualify after Monaco for Canada, so it was sort of um, you know out of he, he had one fewer try than Kobayashi and uh, and so Kobayashi did have one one time where he out qualified Pedro de la Rosa right who was sitting in for Perez who was injured so I think qualifying wise Perez definitely has some speed uh, longevity wise Kobayashi you has know able what to, helps with to bring it home is like when you're running running away from someone when you stole something do you know what I mean like you have to run really fast you have to be fast. You have to get away because you've done something wrong. Like like stealing your racing seat? Yes. Okay. Because I thought maybe you were like making like a Mexican joke from no, right there. No, of like, course that's, not. That's not cool. Okay. No, not cool. All right. But it's tough because uh, now I might go the opposite way and say, look at Kobayashi's points compared to Perez. Dude's got 27 points. To Perez's eight. That is solid. That is a very solid points finish. So even so, it's yeah. It's and Kobayashi on the brakes, man. I, that's always exciting to watch. Yeah, Kobayashi will have these runs where he gets into Q three and will just be really solid. So it's like when he finishes ahead, he tends to be farther ahead than than Perez. I mean, yeah. So I mean, Kobayashi's twenty seven points puts him in eleventh spot in the championship compared to fifteenth for Perez. Um, De La Rosa is classified eighteenth because he had the one race. Fair enough. But um, interesting that he was qualified eighteenth. Puts him in 18th, you know, no points. Ahead of all up. these other all, guys. All, right, exactly, that have been in all season. But I mean, but if you, you know, you do one race and you finish 12th or something. Right, I guess that's no, a I, high, know, I know. Of, I'm just, it's just you yeah, know, funny it, to look at. It, it, it's funny. I mean, it must be disheartening for, like, the Lotus guys. <laughs> like, we've been working so hard. And exactly. This one dude shows up once. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Perez definitely shows lots of promise. Uh, I mean, and, and Kobayashi, too. I mean, neither of these guys are old. They both have plenty to go. And it's, obviously, Kobayashi is just able to capitalize on... Uh, 
on wherever he qualifies and just come up with a lot more points overall. Well, this is, I think, one where we can look at it and we can see the numbers that they are that they are. But I, I, I think, especially considering Perez not making Canada and not being able to drive for Monaco as well, um, that I think these two are actually pretty evenly split. Mm-hmm. I think this is, this, is, this is one of those teams where you can say both drivers are doing a pretty darn solid job, especially considering how little experience they have between the two of them. I mean, think about that. You know, Kobayashi has, what, two races in Toyota and then a year and a half in Sauber. Mm-hmm. And he's the lead development guy. Like, he's the lead driver. Yeah. You know, Perez is a rookie. This is his first time in a first year in a Formula One car. So for them to be able to be in a, in a team that has a smaller budget, I mean, Peter Sauber definitely does not have big money behind him. Mm-hmm. Very little, you know, less than three years experience between both drivers the- compared to Barrichello's. You know, seventy-two year Formula One career. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, when you can think about that, and then just the qualifying pace versus the points and all that kind of stuff. I think the two of them really do both do a very solid job. Yeah, I mean, think about just the team. I mean, Sauber is sponsored by Burger King sometimes. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, the but, other teams. Yeah, it's that. Yeah, that that, that kind of. But that I mean, that I puts mean, Peter them... Sauber is a very plucky owner. I have a lot of respect for the guy. Uh, I mean, we're getting off the topic slightly, I guess, here. But, you know, to make the deal with BMW when Williams kind of screwed it up and, uh, you know, become BMW Sauber and then save the team when BMW backs out kind of all of a sudden Mm -hmm. and still be able throughout all of this. And to be a team called BMW Sauber Ferrari. Exactly. Exactly. To be through all this and still come out as a solid mid-pack team that can get into Q3 on regular times and challenge for points. I mean, you know. 35 points for the team. That's not bad. It puts them in the top half of the teams. I mean, they're... That's a great way to say it. So there's six. I mean, they have 35 points. The next team up has 66, uh, which is, of course, quite a bit more. So I think, you know, there's, there'd be a big, big challenge for Sauber to move up any. But to, to be best of the, you know, you know, in the, in the top half of the teams um, is, is definitely solid for, for Sauber. And, but number five spot is Renault, or Lotus Renault GP, to be... Yes. To be clear. Lotus and Renault that's... Lada. No, yeah. <laughs> Um, the mixed bag of, uh, of of automakers on the side of that car, and but, that's an interesting one. That one. So it's, it's Heidfeld and Petrov, and there's you know Kubica, of course, was the team leader, um, injured and in a rally still crash, is, ironically enough. Yeah, um, and of course, you know, couldn't start the season, but so they end up with Petrov, who's like the young up and comer, and Heidfeld, who's like with the kind of hot team manager. Yeah, kind of hot. Yeah, a little bit. Fair enough. Um, and then Heidfeld, who was sort of the last-minute hire, who's like, yeah, he's shown some pace sometimes, but he's not, like, terribly fast. Um, and it's another one of these kind of mixed results, right? So uh, early in the season, actually, there were two, like, Renault podium qualifyings, you know, and podium finishes. And it was, like, you know, looking really good for them. And then they've really sort of fallen off the development race. And then they've had exploding cars lately and some, some various issues. But uh, at the end of the day, Petrov has outqualified Heidfeld eight times. Yes. Uh, but Heidfeld has outfinished Petrov six times. And, you know, Heidfeld has definitely spent less time in the air in his Formula 1 car than Petrov has. Although more time on fire, I would say. <laughs> That's true. And, I mean, here's the thing. You know, uh, those numbers are kind of striking, but then Heidfeld has 34 points. For eighth, Pet- for eighth spot, yeah. And Petrov has 32 for ninth. So they're actually very close in the points. And in my mind, and I'd be interested to hear your opinion, these two kind of mixed together in a grand subjective way to be also fairly even for Renault 
but the opposite of Sauber, where both drivers aren't doing very well for the team. Like, Petrov is certainly still improving, and he shows some squirts of speed, but he's not that consistent yet. And even though he's out-qualified Heidfeld eight times, his qualifying performance is far from consistent. Mm -hmm. And he still has a little bit harder time keeping a race car in one piece. Way better than he was last year. But still still room for improvement. The start last year where he just drove off into the wall (laughs) right at the first launch. And you're just like, oh boy, this guy's going to be, this is going to be a long day explaining that. But but Heidfeld, you know, he seems to be a little bit more consistent with consistent with race results. He can keep a car one piece. He can keep going, but he's slow. Yeah, he's well, not, and he should be he's able. Not I mean, he's getting out of the car. He's got what five or six years of F one experience. I mean, he should oh, be able to do more that. Than that. So you know, yeah, I think I, I mean, I, I guess with the results as close as they are, I'm I guess more impressed with Petrov's ability to get those results than with Heidfeld's. Uh, just because of, I mean, he should be able to do that, and he should be able to be quite a bit better, I would think, than Petrov. Um, because of all the experience he's got. And uh, and so, you know, I guess as weird as it seems, I guess I would give the edge to Petrov um, okay. in, terms I mean, of, in terms of lack of experience, but to get I'm results as, e- as close to someone as like Heidfeld. I'm going to keep them equal, but I, I, I certainly see your point. And I think the bottom line here is, is Robert Kubica, man, we can't wait to get you back in the car. Yeah, I, th- I think that's what's most striking to me is of all these teams here and everyone we talked about so far, I think clearly... Renault is the one team where uh, a better driver could get. I mean, because we just think about um, Alonso being mm-hmm. in the car mm-hmm. not that long ago and the results he could get. And Kubica, what he could do in the car just last year. Yeah. You know, at the beginning of the season, Renault really had a, a, a good performance advantage. And then as a team, they've also been falling off, which is hard on the driver. So we shouldn't maybe be too hard on them. Um yeah, and there's of course you know financial issues with you know Renault divesting and all the you know it's coming up with weird sponsorships. So like the team is definitely in a bit of turmoil. But I mean I think having a stronger driver there like Robert Kubica and having him bring in good results would make a lot of those situations just so much better because it makes getting investors easier. It makes dealing yeah. with sponsors oh, like if there's morale, if there's the thing, solid yeah. performance. Um, and also just while we're while we're mentioning him, uh, you know I, th- I guess Kubica's on sort of this, his last round of like elbow surgeries and stuff, and I think he's actually they're, they're saying like the recovery is going well, but it's really start to going to be not so much going in and surgerizing his his hand and, and elbow, <laughs> but actually it's like just recovering now. Yeah. So it should be moving along well, and uh, you know really hope to see Kubica you know maybe start to show up at these at these events a little bit, and uh, you know I. I you don't want to push the guy to get back in the car, and it's not like he's going to listen to me or you anyway as far right. as when he gets back in the car. So, like, you know, in a, in a way, it's like, dude, take your time and, and relax and do your thing. But we also, we can't wait to have you back, you know, I think. is uh, Right. I mean, truthfully, I, I hope he can be back and forth in the Formula One car. I hope he can be fast. He can still be the way he was before. But truthfully, I see little value in jumping into the car in Abu Dhabi. Yeah. You know, I mean, just – or Brazil. I forget what – maybe Brazil is the last race this year. I don't remember. It moment. is, yeah. Um just wait till the next season, really get 100%, get in the car, test, you know, do your thing. Yeah, he could do like a season. couple laps in a Clio Sport or something to be like, yo, what up, I'm Kubica and I'm back. But, yeah. you know, like, like F1 One car G-forces. Put the, put the bad elbow out and wave. You know yeah, I mean? something like that. Yeah. All right, so next up the field um, is, is Mercedes. Yes. Factory Mercedes team. And, uh, you know, so this is when they've got the super, super veteran man, Michael Schumacher, and then the Less kind of... Less experienced than Barrichello, I have to say. Yeah, but... Obviously, you know, the results are what they are. They are what they are. And then Rosberg, um, who, 
was the plucky youngster, but now that was four years ago. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not I mean, it's that young. Yeah, no. really, his his uh, sort of a is becoming a veteran driver, but you know, except next to you know someone with like Schumacher's record. Well, do you want to do the numbers or shall I? Uh, I'll start with qualifying, and I mean, Rosberg has qualified Schumacher ten times. Ten out of eleven one. rounds. Oh man, I mean, that's that's really a striking number. And there's been like, oh, it's been traffic, and it's been this, and it's been that, but ten times yeah, out of eleven. I've, yeah, you, you're running out of excuses very much so. And he has also outraced Schumacher six times to four. Now that is a much tighter number. And I will say, uh, Schumacher's opening lap performance compared to Rosberg, is a different story. Schumacher is still shockingly good at the start. So looking at those two numbers, I mean, what that tells you is that almost every time Schumacher, you know, one out of 11 times, Schumacher started behind Rosberg, but in almost half of those times, he was able to get ahead of him some point in the race, right? Right. So he only outfinished him, uh, you know, uh, he was was only finished as complicated. Rosberg finished higher than Schumacher six times to four. Um, And one time they both didn't finish, so they didn't count. Right. Um, So... Yeah, you know, qualifying pace is not there. Race pace is kind of there. But Rosberg's got 48 points for 7th place compared to Schumacher's 32 points for 10th place. And exactly. and if, if That's if, a pretty big difference. They're split by the Renaults between them. Exactly. Exactly what I was just going to say. If if they if Mercedes had two Rosbergs, they'd be completely and solidly ahead of Renault in every aspect. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's tough because so Schumacher comes with him the legacy and all the results that he has and the relationship with Rosh Braun and everything else and he has three years of rust to shake off a brand new Formula One it's not the Formula One he left where the team's completely around him and he has so much control over all aspects of the car so it's a different game for Schumacher but at the same time but he's not just back either he's had his year to sort that out. That's right. We're halfway through his second year, and even at the beginning of this year, everyone's like, okay, last year was just getting figured out. Now right. now is the time. He's going to have the team around him. He's going to have his car. It's and all it, going to be suited for him, not for Rosberg. And it does seem and tighter just in not, some ways, but not still there. Rosberg is clearly... But here's the thing about Rosberg. He, Rosberg just, just does not seem to care enough to get through the end of the race. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't want to mess up his hair, I think. It's, it's exactly. like, really perfect in his helmet, and he's like, <laughs> like, I'll qualify, I'll do what I need to do. Right. But then, like, I don't want to mess up this do. Yeah, exactly. It's like, ooh, you know, I could go for a cup of tea. You know, like, where Schumacher definitely still... He's probably like a Frappuccino guy, I think. He could be a Frappuccino. Yeah. I'm with you there. Schumacher definitely seems to have more of that tenacity, and I put it up on the Facebook page. There's a YouTube interview with Schumacher, and he's like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I will definitely be here next year. Um, I still have every... Every bit of motivation to turn uh, the Mercedes team into a championship-winning team and a race-winning team, I still want to be a part. Schumacher definitely has huge amounts of motivation that I'm not sure Rosberg has. But this time you cannot ignore the numbers, and we've seen the race results. Yeah, I mean, to talk about Mercedes as a championship-winning team, I mean, when we look at the top of the, of the drivers' championship, there is number one. Then there's, like, this shelf with numbers two and three. And then there's, like, another big drop-off to, to number four. I mean, Mercedes is a distant fourth. So yeah. I think a reasonable goal would be to get Mercedes up to a third-place team, like up yeah. to a top-level team, right. I guess you could call that, let alone be best of the rest, let alone be a championship-winning team. I mean, there are some very, very strong teams ahead of them, and they are not close right now, to right. put it bluntly. Now, one thing that's interesting that I've read from Ross Braun, and he said, yes, we were definitely expecting more performance this year. 
yes, this is below but what we were expecting. But I have to say, this is me paraphrasing Ross Braun. We are a much smaller team than the top teams. And as the next round of Concord agreements come into place, where they're kind of mandating smaller teams, he's like, we're already that size. And, in fact, we kind of built up to, he's a brawn was really tiny. So we actually built. And res- they were no good. No, wait, they were brilliant. <laughs> exactly. What? And we built, we built them up. You know, now we built up, but we're at the correct size for the new smaller Formula One team. The big teams still have to come down to that size. So he still thinks, Braun does in the longer term, that they're going to be very well suited to do well as the other teams have to conform to the kind of rules of being a smaller team. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. But it also makes a lot of sense, everything we heard in the offseason, about how 2011 is going to be different because this is the year Schumacher has adjusted to the team. The car is yeah. not built for Rosberg and blah, blah, blah. And it's just not different. And we have now, and even from the team level, now we have the proper engineering staff in place. We're yeah. being much more aggressive with the 2011 car. You know, and the results were largely the there same. There wasn't a question of whether the team would exist at the beginning of the year. and all. So, I mean, yes, that sounds all reasonable. And, of course, that's what, what else is he going to say, right? He's not going to be like, oh, we're crap, and I don't know why we're crap. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yes, we're working on every every asset we can to get better, and we can be hopeful about X, Y, and Z, but at the same time, it's really seems pretty far-fetched for them to be a championship-winning team in the next, I'm going to say, three years. Oh, well, uh, fair enough. And so, at, at the end of the day, I, I, despite Rosberg's, I'll say, apathy and Schumacher's tenacity, you still have to give it to Rosberg. I mean, just, yeah, the results, the results are what they are. Speaking of results being what they are, oh boy, <laughs> maybe we should move on to Ferrari. All right, so as we mentioned, there are the top three teams, which are the only teams really in contention for the uh, Constructors' Championship, and that is, of course, Red Bull, McLaren, and Ferrari. And third place in that is Ferrari because they really only have one strong driver. Clearly, <laughs> Fernando Alonso has out-qualified Massa 10-1. to he has outraced Massa nine times to two. Yeah, so, th- so the qualifying is the same as the Mercedes guys, but Massa doesn't have that drive to get past Alonso or doesn't have the ability or whatever. One or the other. I mean, uh, so only one time was Massa able to pass Alonso in a race is what that's telling us. Right, and there's many uh, – There's many. Alonso is one of those controversial figures. He's, he's a love him or hate him guy. Well, not necessarily, but like he – Yeah, I he just kind of like him. He's, okay, so – but the one thing everyone has to give to Alonzo is respect. I mean, that guy is driven. He's determined. He's tenacious. He does he's all fast. the things, and he's freaking fast. Yeah. I mean, if I if I were if if I put Alonzo in a Red Bull, I think he would be doing better than Vettel does because he's more of a complete package. He's really capable at thinking race distance strategy, championship level thinking, strategicness, and all that whole thing. Vettel's doing amazing, but uh, I think Alonso is really just one of those guys that he's strong in every aspect of what you need a driver to be strong in, except for niceness, like maybe that one if you want to be nice. He's got the kind of the villain thing going on. A little on. bit, but he's got 145 points to Massa's 70. He's fourth in the championship to Massa's six, and just like you said, outrace and qualify. I mean, he's a much stronger driver. What we don't know is... If this, if the Massa that Alonso is trouncing so badly is the same Massa that Kimi Raikkonen was dealing with, because Alonso's Massa is post spring to the face Massa, which is harsh to say. <laughs> That's a technical term there, <laughs> but it's true. I mean, 
Masha, Masa took a really hard hit to the head in 09. And I'm not convinced that he's completely back to the way he was before. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Clearly, Alonso's the much, much stronger driver. But I do wonder if Massa just isn't, just something is not quite there. So he's not quite as quick nerved and as sensitive to the car as he used to be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's really no, I don't think a, no case to be made that Massa is the stronger driver in the team. Um, I have to, you know, pretty much agree with, with your assertions there. And, uh, you know, I, there's no question that Massa has gotten slower. Um, in my mind anyway. So I don't, the question I guess is, is that because of the spring or is that, or is it because Alonso's built the team around I mean, him and kind of yeah, put or, him that way? Yeah. yeah, is it just sort of built that way? And, of course, not only is it the, the injury and the surgery and all that and the recovery time, but just that time not in the car. Oh, that's fair. When yeah, it was absolutely. Luca Padur and Fisichella and whatnot. And, uh, and, of course, none of those experiences helped Massa any. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I'm not sure. I, you, know, you say Alonso in in a Red Bull would be better than Vettel. I mean, it's I guess it's a little bit tough to say. So I guess what you what you want is a someone who qualifies like Vettel Starts like Schumacher, works his tires like Button, but passes like Hamilton. Ooh, I think is, well, is you know is what you want. You add all those up. I think the person that most closely meets that is Alonso. But yeah, so each one has their forte. But I think Alonso overall um, has has made or, or maybe builds a team around him like Schumacher. But you could say that happened in like oh five oh six with the Renault double championships for Alonso. That absolutely, you know, his teammates weren't really parts of those championships. It was really all about Alonso having you know having the infrastructure around him. Um, you know, I guess it was you know Flavio and as, as part of that as well. But uh, yeah, I, I I mean Flavio's hair never hurts. That I mean in his whatever yeah in his, his yacht. Those those are all good things as well. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean Alonso clearly the solid performer, and it does, and you know they both have contracts for twenty twelve. Um, so you know both Alonso and Massa, so they'll they'll both be back next year. But beyond there, that's where you really start to wonder: okay, who's going to be number two to Alonso? Because I don't see any reason for Ferrari to, to get rid of Alonso. I mean, if the money works, no, then, then no. He, he's the guy. I don't see Alonso going anywhere. I right. mean, Alonso's pretty clearly stated that he wants to end his career at Ferrari. Um, they have they have got it lined up for Perez, the thief, to uh, get a test in a Ferrari in a, like an 09 spec Ferrari in September. And uh, I think there you could see a real strong chance of Perez or someone or maybe like a Duresta or somebody like that, like to come in and be a really strong number two to Alonso. Yeah. But I don't think there's also been a couple of rumors about Kubica or maybe even Hamilton or maybe Vettel coming in in 13 or something like that. Well, not Vettel anymore. I think he's contracted Red Bull through 14 now. But um, a, ter- a driver like that to come in, pair up with Alonso, I think that's unlikely. I think Ferrari remembers very fondly the Schumacher Barrichello era, and I think uh, Alonso looks at that as the correct formula as well, where there is a solid lead driver, which is him, and then there's another strong number two that can defend. Yeah, but it's got to be a strong number two, and Massa's not being a strong number two at this point. So, right. you know, I think bringing in Vettel or Hamilton would not be good because those guys wouldn't be happy as number two. Uh, somebody like Perez would be just would be. Potentially, oh, we don't know yet. Could be overjoyed to, to be a number two because you know he's still up and coming, and that you know still a couple of years. I'll have a couple of years and whatever. So at that point, 
yeah, you're number two, but it's not because you know they don't like you. It's just because you're still working, you know, working your way up to the to the situation, and, and then you get up there. So, and that's um, a key difference, right? Like when Barrichello and Schumacher were in there. Well, Barrichello was just as old and just as seasoned as Schumacher was. Mm-hmm. So it's like, well, I'm not waiting till Schumacher retires so I can have my number one status. It's like, like I'm, I'm just this yeah. guy, and I get these checks, and I drive my thing. <laughs> but Massa kind of was a little bit, whereas like Massa was a lot younger than Schumacher. Schumacher was going to retire, and then Massa could maybe even take the throne. And that got a little dicey when Raikkonen came in in 07, but I think that was kind of the idea. And Massa almost had his championship, as we all almost, remember. Almost, very, very closely. So uh, Perez could very easily look at it as like kind of paying my dues as the Ferrari number two driver. And then being able to be the Ferrari number one driver if things go well, yada, yada, yada. And that so, seems yeah. like it would be a good fit, just from judging on what we see now. But I think that connection, I mean, obviously there's lots of money behind Perez. You know, the richest man in the world and all that. He's all, be, you know, with that whole the Telmex empire yeah. behind him. Uh, fitting that in and with all the marketing and everything that goes along with it, potentially a Mexican Grand Prix coming up. And certainly, you know, lots of, um, you know, all the all the Spanish-speaking countries and all that. I think, you know, there's connections there. So it all, you know, it all could go that direction. But for now, it's all about Fernando Alonso. And what's kind of amazing is, you know, so Ferrari is in third place in the Constructors' Championship with 215 points. Um, and, you know, that's that's a lot uh, from from Alonso, basically. I mean, you know, just looking at... Uh, oh, two to one, at, It's a points race. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, like I say, it's over twice as, as many points. So 145 points for Alonso to 70 for Massa is a huge difference. And it's, it's interesting that that's only two spaces in the championship um, between, you know, fourth and sixth where they're classified. But... Uh, you know, Moss is just really not helping the bottom line anywhere near as much as Alonso is right now. Okay, now we've get now we got a fun one to talk about. To me, yeah. this, this is the one I'm looking forward to the most. All right, so it's McLaren, solid second place in the championship, but uh, and uh, you know, if it weren't for like the last three races, you'd kind of say there's very little hope for that ever changing because Red Bull just you know, like like you know, if it wasn't a Red Bull one two, it'd be like a two three or one four. Right. Like uh-huh. it was very very solid performance, very very lots of points from Red Bull. But uh, McLaren's really been coming up, and obviously it's Hamilton and Button. And as we've often said, and is kind of the case, um, you know, over a single lap, everyone pretty much thinks Hamilton is, is faster, and they're pretty much right. Statistically, uh, it's eight out-qualifying, uh, eight times Hamilton out-qualified Button um, out of 11 rounds, so only three times that Jensen was able to be faster in a single lap. Full disclosure, everyone knows that listens on a regular basis. I am a Button fan, but I have to say... Yes, it has been eight to three, but this year compared to last, that Delta is tightening up. How much worse does Button qualify than Hamilton is dropping? Uh, Button's been able to get pretty close to Hamilton a lot of times. That's a good way to spin it, I guess. It, it's a spin. It's like Button but takes so long to set up his passes. We're looking at it like an annual thing, like in 20, you know, what struck, 2010, What struck me was that Lewis also outraced jensen seven times to four i i didn't just based on my recollection i didn't think that was the case and part of the reason why i didn't think that was the case is because if you look at the championship points that tells a much different picture lewis hamilton is in the lead with 146 points but button has 134 that is not very different at all do you know what i mean they're pretty darn close and jensen button has two race wins uh, and I th- does Hamilton, uh, Hamilton has one, right? Or does he have two? Boy, I don't want to. I don't want to get that one wrong. Way to confuse us with facts. <laughs> Keep going. I'll look it up. <laughs> so Button Button won in Canada and in Hungary, and Button has a great finishing record. Well, that's not true. Actually, this year he's had a couple of DNFs, but that yeah. one was a wheel falling off because his team didn't tighten it. 
And the other one was something else that wasn't his fault. I mean, so personally, this is another one where I would say the two drivers are actually very evenly matched. And the statistics agree with me if you look at the points. That's what I'm going to say. Watt Hamilton is ahead. He does have two race wins. Of course, it was China early in the year. That okay. was what I was trying to think of, and then Germany. Germany, more okay. Yeah. So it is two to two. So, I mean, I th- I think the points are are sort of the story, right? I mean, they're close, but with the edge to Hamilton, you know, it is. Yes, I mean, and what's neat about the McLaren team, what's so brilliant about it, is that first of all, they get along with each other, which is kind of become like a cliche almost to talk about that, because uh, it is. So amazing that someone gets along with him. Look how well they get along with each other. It's amazing. But the other thing is, is that button strengths tend to come out with Hamilton's weakest weaknesses and vice versa. Do you know what I mean? Like the team can be strong in a wider range of circumstances because the two different teammates tend to be strong in two different places. And so that that's partially what helps McLaren stay in the in second place because there's definitely been times where the car is clearly the third fastest car. And yet just because of the way the drivers uh, treat their cars and their tires and what one can do versus the other, you know, they can both claw points in different circumstances. Yeah. And it's, I mean, like it's been a surprise to the McLarens to get on the podium and qualifying. And, you know, they're like, I didn't even think the car had it in it, but we made it work. And it's, you know, one of the few teams that really can just, you know, become, you know, just can really come together and, and really work for them in a, in a brilliant way. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, like as any pair of drivers or, or individuals will be, there's, there's, you know, the different strengths and weaknesses. But I guess if the goal is to uh, to try to quantify something or, or, you know, subjectively to vote them, I mean, I really have to uh, have to get the, the edge to my boy Hamilton um, yeah, on overall but consider, performance. I mean, you do have to consider Jensen's two DNFs, and they certainly were not his fault. And uh, also... I mean, okay, I'll say this. What was that, by the way? That was a Vodafone ad that's on <laughs> Formula1.com, but you don't need to worry about that. Okay, what, uh, if someone put a gun to my set, head and said I had to choose one, I would, I, I would choose Hamilton. I, I, I would choose Hamilton. So I need to get a gun to get an honest reaction out of you. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. Because I'll get, I mean, for the good of the fans, I'll get a gun. Not I'll a, find one. It doesn't need to be a big one. You're talking I like mean, Super Soaker? Would that work? Nah. I don't. Yes, let's say yes. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have like you know you know steel will or anything like that. I'll, I'll crumble pretty quickly. All right, fair enough. But uh, but I truly think if you look at it in aggregate and you look at the two, that is that is a pairing of drivers that you have no reason to change, and you can only really have that if, in my opinion, if it's like. One's clearly number one. The other one's clearly number two, like Schumacher, Barrichello. It's like, don't mess with that because it works really well. Or they're really evenly split, and they just give you great strengths all the time. You know, and uh, Hamilton's fast, but Button fills in so many gaps. And Jensen Button is the is the driver they rely on to set up the car. So part of the reason why Hamilton can race as well as he can is because he takes Jensen's setup. All right, all right. We know you and, like button. Whatever. Let's move on. when the two have disagreed, Monza last year, the two disagreed, and Hamilton went with his own setup, and Jensen went with his, and Jensen was a lot faster. So Hamilton's better, but you like button a lot. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Because I, I don't have a gun, ladies and gentlemen, so I can't get an honest reaction out of the guy. We just got to let him talk for a minute, and then, uh, and then he'll go. 
Uh, sometimes right, so, you're great. So um, I think that pretty much wraps it up for the uh, for the team coverage. You, um, you are missing one team. Oh well, I mean, I mean it's Red Bull though. We gotta. Let's talk about a clear number one. Yikes! I mean, we got at least we got to give him the numbers a couple of times. So okay, the most striking number isn't the qualifying like you'd think. Vettel has out qualified Mark Webber eight to three, but we've seen worse. Alonso's ten to one. Rosberg's ten to one, but out raced. Yeah, I hadn't realized Mark Webber has not finished in front of Sebastian Vettel in 2011. Period. That's simple. Eleven times out of eleven races, Sebastian Vettel has finished higher than Mark Webber, which says a few things. Which says. Sebastian Vettel has never has not fallen out of a race. I mean, he hasn't yep. not finished a race. He's done very, very well, shockingly well, uh, in terms of just you know race finishes. Um, but yeah, uh, when your bad the, day is finishing fourth, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's it's really good. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Looking at Mark Webber, I mean, he's got you know fifth place in Australia and fifth place again in Hungary, and those those are the you know the worst of them. He's a couple fourths, you know, finished whatever. So so Mark Webber hasn't hasn't DNF'd a race either, which is which is very solid for him. Um, but yeah, I mean, looking down Sebastian Vettel's uh, race f- positions: first, first, second, first, 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 second, first, second, and then a terrible race weekend where he finished fourth in Germany, and then back to second for Hungary. Wow. I mean, it's it's unreal, and it's almost. I mean, you know, there was the potential team orders controversy, and I say potential because you know they Red Bull issued team orders, but Mark didn't really follow them, so it's debatable right. as to whether team orders were what made Vettel continue to finish in front of Weber, or if it was just that you know Weber said screw the team orders, I'm going to try to pass them, just couldn't make it happen. So there was like and one even time. Even if we were to say, yeah, exactly. Even if we were to say that was clearly team orders, and what Red Weber would have finished ahead. Well, that's once. Out of 11 times. Yeah. So, I mean, we know that Weber's starts are a huge, huge problem. And in almost every case where he qualifies really well, it goes all wrong for him. And he loses several positions right at the start. Because, as numbers say, Weber has out-qualified Vettel three times. Yeah. So, it's those three times uh, that Vettel has been able to get around him every single time. and Or, or just put himself in a position where he doesn't have to get around anybody. Uh, so, it's really a pretty, I mean... What can you say about Vettel's yeah, record you, you this year? You just can't. You can't deny. There's there's no way to spin this one. I don't care how big of an Aussie uh, fan you are, Mark Webber for life. I know there's a lot of fans uh, out there of the show that are also huge fans of Webber. Last year, Webber was, gave Vettel a really strong run for it. Really, really showed that, hey, this isn't a one-guy team, despite the, the team wanting it to kind of be that way. Now that Vettel's got that championship, I mean, just obviously there's a lot of things well, going okay. on behind the scenes. But I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll take that bet. I'll stand up for the Aussies on this one. Um, you know, it's not. It's, it, yes, Vettel has had better finishing positions, but how much of that is because the team is all set up around Vettel now? You know, where last year maybe you know it was. I think the they're, they're team working was set up it. around Vettel last year. Yeah, I think but Vettel I think has I think got after the confidence, yeah, of the championship behind him, he's he's. You know, got every everything switched, and he's just he's in the zone. I this mean, year. you remember, you know, with a few rounds to go at the end of last year's championship, it, you know, Mark Webber was in the lead. Yep. Um, of course, Vettel was never in the lead until the end when he won. Um, and there was a you know a big question: do we you know do we back Vettel? Do we back Webber? In times where they had to pick one or the other, and uh, and yeah, you know, it, it came down to Vettel. Um, but uh, you know, there it was it was still sort of closer. But I think after 
Sebastian Vettel did come on to do what the whole Red Bull team hoped he would, and you know they didn't hand the uh, hand the championship to Alonso at the last minute by by screwing up the strategy, or whatever. But the fact that Vettel came through and was able to win the championship, I think that it would may it may have been seventy thirty percent towards Vettel, and then now it's you know ninety ten or something, if not worse. It's really all about it's really the Sebastian Vettel racing team at this point. Maybe, and maybe. I I feel so, like it was pretty much that way last year, but. Right, so I, you know, I guess that in 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 Weber's defense, and and for the nation of Australia, who you're trying to insult right now, uh, <laughs> I will say I think that you know with the deck with the deck stacked against him as as it may be, um, this this may be the best that uh, that a guy can muster. I will not deny that the deck the deck could very well be stacked against the man, but my point is the deck was as stacked against him last year as well, and he was stronger. And I think they restacked the deck. It's possible they restacked it. I think, I think we're, uh, you know, I think we're splitting hairs here. But at the I, end of the day, I, I like Australia, is what I'm trying to say. And I'm sorry to hear that you don't, because it is a wonderful country with lots of wonderful people and wonderful things to do and see. Yes. Well, Vettel is clearly the stronger teammate here. Sorry, dude's got Australia. 234 points, which obviously puts him first in the championship compared to 149. And what's you know, of course, there's more points than ever before because it's 25 points per race win, and we're sort of right. used to the 10-point system. Right. Um, but it's, I mean, it's, what, three and a half race wins, uh, you know, th- more than three yeah. race wins different. Yeah, um, which is a big lead. It's a very, very solid lead. and just, that's, his, that's the biggest Jensen Button ever had for a lead in 2009. Right, and with decks stacked as recently as they may or may not have been stacked, it really seems like that's not probably going to change. Um, so what you know now that we've we've talked about everyone, what what is interesting in the championship still in terms of drivers is it's Mark Webber with 149, then three points back uh, is Lewis Hamilton, and then one point behind him is Alonso. That that is a really really tight race for for second spot. Yes, um, and and realistically 134 for Button is not far behind as, at all as well. True, with 25 points for a race win, he's he's certainly. You know, one more race win, and he's right up there with. Uh, yeah, you know. he could be second in the championship. Right so there. you know, that's. I mean, I, I you know you, you hate to extrapolate too much, um, but it really seems like you know what what's going to stop Vettel at this point. But this whole second place race, and I mean, there are nine more races. There are lots of races to happen, sure. and certainly lots of things can happen. But uh, you know, there's it's a really close group, and then it really falls off behind there with Massa and the whole rest of the guys. Yes, absolutely. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's that's where it stands. Um and that's I think we've solved all the world's problems by uh by by rating these drivers. Well, I we mean, solved the world's problems before we started podcasting. That was over dinner. Yeah. Now we've solved all of Formula 1's problems. And what's interesting, the one thing I'll add to what you just kind of said is it's the same top 5 drivers as it was last year. It's it's this solid top 5 where Jensen is kind of like the outside of the top five but he's always he's definitely there he's like you can't count the guy out you can't count the guy out depending on what conditions are thrown at the race and what you know nose into radiator conditions might happen um i mean if there's another wet race in hungary this year then i would really (laughs) have my money right back on button so clearly that that says two things to me cool first thing it's great five drivers all kind of gunning even if it's for second it's still really interesting um and two, Massa. I mean, just show again that kind of points out Massa's lack of ability to really be a part of this mix. And and look what having a solid two drivers 
compared to a solid one driver can do for your team standings. Because just to, to run down those real quickly, Renault with 383 points, McLaren 103 points behind them with 280, and then Ferrari... Wait, wait, wait. You said Renault. You meant Red Bull with 383 points. Yes, Red Bull, Renault. Did I forget the Red Bull part? You Is that an important Red... part of the yeah, team? Yeah, that, that okay. helps a little bit. Well, it says RBR, Renault. They're abbreviating the wrong part of the... What's emphasis is on the totally wrong syllable there rbr standing for red bull racing yes for those who don't know thanks so red bull <laughs> 383 points yeah renault uh, um mclaren with uh, 100 100 and some points back with 280 and then ferrari 215 behind them and of course mclaren has had some stumbles with with dnfs both with with hamilton and of course with button like we mentioned so that that brings them back so um you know but even so they're, they're still you know well well ahead of uh, of Ferrari and then it jumps back to 80 points for Mercedes and on on down the the road from there so i mean it's really the top 3 teams top 5 drivers cuz Massa's not one of them and uh that's uh same as it ever was from last year to this year and uh you know should should be a fun second half of the season um however however this comes about i mean maybe you know Mercedes becomes a championship winning team all of a sudden and comes from 80 <laughs> points and gets 300 more points and they've they been busy be they've been busy during and the if, summer break if Red Bull Renault doesn't finish any more races then somehow Ross Brown can come back and you know be amazing but that's really probably not going to happen so um that is is 2011 as it stands right now um we've got spa coming up we've got a whole bunch of fun races Monza you know we got lots lots of cool stuff to do um for the rest of the season but um, I do want to talk about 2012 a little bit. Uh, Ooh, the, that's uh, next year. That is. And the calendar is starting to come together. I don't think this is official official yet, but this is sort of what the world has decided on in terms of the various press releases that have come out and things like that. Um, so it's going to start in Australia. They've put Bahrain back on the calendar, but near the end, in November. So there's sort of plenty of time to work out whether or not that's going to happen. But if it doesn't happen, that doesn't change the whole start of the season which I appreciate because that was obviously sort of messed us all up schedule-wise last time to say, is the season going to start? And it was two weeks and the whole deal. So if if we have a race missing in November, first of all, we have a lot more time to figure that out between now and then, or Bahrain has a lot of time to figure themselves out. But uh, also, you know, the season will start March 18th unless there is social and political unrest in Australia, which in this day and age, who knows? Who knows? Um, But uh, we've got a lot of back-to-back races this year, and that is actually the main problem. Well, before I I have my little political thing to say about Bahrain, I kind of—it doesn't seem, based on what I've read in news, that it's really—I mean, who knows? A year from now is kind of a long time, agreed. But at this point, I still am kind of disappointed that Formula One's ready to jump right back into Bahrain. It kind of seems like— there's some shady things going on. The people aren't really being treated well. I mean, clearly they're not being treated well. And the way it's, like, being swept under the rug a little bit, it's just – it's it's unfortunate to me because it's kind of like an opportunity to make take a, 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 a an ethical message saying that Formula One doesn't want to be involved with a country that has these issues with their people kind of thing. But, but maybe I'm it, getting too involved politically. But if they say that and then they go and race in China and there's there's issues – I mean, lots of different countries, there's lots of different issues. So I think as soon as F1 becomes the, the ethical standard, then there's a whole other – ball of wax to go into well i mean anything it, if you say formula one's the ethical standard then bernie's the ethical ethical standard and then right that's and then i mean i don't yeah f1 is the, the the monetary standard of various ways of making money in every step of the, of the uh, operation every possible way and uh they'll find ways to do that so um anyway 
it's on the calendar right now for 2012. It may happen, it may not, but there's plenty of time to figure that out. Uh, but yeah, so uh, Australia and Malaysia will be back-to-back. So we'll have a strong start to the season with two races and two weekends. Because um, they're right next door. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, and then staying in Asia for the opener, then we've got a week off and then China. And this is uh, early April. We're in now April 8th for, uh, for China. Um, and then a week off and then India. Uh, so assuming everything goes well in India at the end of this year, they actually get a pretty early date next year. And that sort of fits in geographically with China and India. Which is probably a good thing because India is one of those other places that gets a little bit toasty in the middle of the summer. Yeah. So, so I've heard. an earlier date is probably just as well. Um, and then a couple of weeks off, and then we start the European round. So we do have four races pre-Europe, but they're all kind of Asia or South Asia um, or Australia, um, which South, South, West, East, Asia, Australia, some continent. Good. That was good. Yeah. Well, I, words I, would be better, I but think that, I really, that was good. I think I really clarified it for those who were curious <laughs> where Australia is in the world. Um, but then we start Europe. Uh, so then we go to Spain a week off, and then Monaco, um, then North America, just for Canada on its own. I love it. So originally we had a back-to-back Canada-U.S. situation, which would put uh, the U.S. GP in the middle of July. Funny story, Texas is also a place where it gets a little toasty. A little bit Indian-ish. In June. In yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so Canada is its own race, so it's like a whole bunch of European rounds. Then, by the way, zip over to North America. Uh, then they've got two weeks off, then they're back for... Uh, Valencia, Europe, back-to-back. Oh, good, Valencia. Which, yeah, which is like a tapas, fish, and chips, like a combo, which I can, All right, I can get behind enough, that. fair enough, then it's Then it's a week off. Then it's Germany, Hungary, back-to-back. Uh, so July is a busy, busy month for, for Formula 1 next year. We've got four races and five weekends. So No uh, kidding. We'll be, we'll be all over that. Um, August, however, is not because there are zero races scheduled for August 2012. I see. As it happens, all four weekends will not have races on them, but we'll be back first weekend of September with Belgium. So we'll say... Hey, Elena and Anne-Marie, yeah, we July is kind of bad. We'll, we, we'll see you in August. We can see our wives then. That'll, that'll be good. All right, so right next year there will be a Belgium-Italy back-to-back, and that's that's dope. That's a sweet back-to-back right yes. there. Uh, then Singapore, then Japan-Korea back-to-back. Um, and those are those are late, late nights for us or early mornings depending on – I mean, it's late nights. Who, who, who are we kidding? We're not going to wake up at 1 a.m. Yeah, we're not morning people. Um, then a week off. Then Unless we stay up all night. Then we're – Excellent. In the then morning. it's a whole different situation. Um, but then there's only so one week off after that. It's like these Asia rounds really. I mean, Japan, Korea, back to back, and then and then it's the Middle East round. So there's one week for everybody to get to the Middle East. Then Abu Dhabi and Bahrain back to back. But that's not the end of the season. <laughs> then it's it's crazy. So that's if Bahrain actually happens. Yes. Uh, then so we're we're deep in November. We're at November 18th. Um, so we've got the U.S. Grand Prix 2012, November 18th, weekend before Thanksgiving. That's going to be cool. Yes. Um, and literally, like, you know, a lot nicer track condition, yes, I think. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and then the season finale, uh, one month before Christmas, November 25th in Brazil. Unbelievable. So this is a... It's so a, that's, the, is that, that's the weekend after Thanksgiving yeah. for us, then? Yeah. Wow. That's a good weekend. Unbelievable. So we come back. Well, see, we, we, we want to do we want to go big on the U.S. Grand Prix because the U.S. Grand Prix is back for the first time in forever. Uh, we were at the last uh, one. And the first time it's been on a... Ever. That has been on a purpose-built for Formula One track. Yes. And uh, and then and so it'll be back. We want to do that live. We want to do that big. And then, then we'll come back and we'll have Thanksgiving and we'll have Brazil. That That's looking like a good couple of weeks in there. No I'm kidding. I'm That'll digging be... November 2012 right now. No kidding. Well, not to mention. Oh, no, that's next year. Sorry. We're planning our little trip November, but that's November 11th. Yeah, that's 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 a whole other, that's a whole other deal. We've so, got a little road trip that we're, we're fizzling with, playing with a little bit, Jim and I. If anything cool happens, we'll let you know. Sure. 
So, speaking of road trips, though, I was recently on a uh, plane trip to Austin, which then became a road trip to Pittsburgh. But while I was in Austin, Texas, that is the home of the U.S. Grand Prix track, and I went there. Um, Tell me about it. So, I was trying to get a tour and actually was talking to some people at the track and, you know, told them about the podcast, and they were checking it out, and it was all cool. Um, But unfortunately, because the timing was all kind of last minute, um, I wasn't able to get a proper tour and walk around the track, so... Uh, I didn't really get any more. I mean, I didn't get any more access than anyone would who lives in Austin who could just drive down and check it out. But um, most people who live in Austin wouldn't bother to drive down and check it out. Yeah, it was kind of funny. So I went to the front gate, and there's, you know, these guys, the construction, you know, kind of, you know, guy at the front gate. Um, and, and so I was, you know, it's like he said, I couldn't come past here. I, you know, I didn't have a hard hat. I didn't have the clearance and all that stuff. You know, it was a construction site after all. And uh, so I was just talking to him for a minute, and I'm like, oh, Which is good news, by the way, because that means they are building it. Things yeah. are happening. No, they are. Uh, you can tell, you can see the outline of the track is there. It's like kind of, I think, being graded and stuff now. It wasn't is, is the elevation there and everything yeah. else? Oh, yeah. That's I mean, cool. it's, it's mostly kind of built in with the hills. and They weren't, like, building mountains to do this. It was sort of fitting with what's there, which is a good sign. Definitely a good sign. You know, they sign. were doing, of course, you know, what's there naturally isn't going to be perfect. So they were, you know, they are moving a lot of earth around, but the, the, the outline of the track is there. Um, but it was funny talking to the guy at the front gate, and I'm sort of like, you know, hey, are you, you know, do you know kind of what's going on with this in terms of, like, you know, what F1 is and kind of what all is going to be coming and how it was going to be in June and how it's going to be in November? And he's like, nope. <laughs> he's uh, just like, Americans. you know, I show up at work, and I punch in, and I stand at the front gate, and I don't let people buy that don't have the right stuff, and I put them, I mean, he didn't say that, but it's sort of just like, you know, it, it's funny, it, it's America, and it's Texas, and obviously they're taking Formula One seriously because there is that track and it is being built and there was all these, you know, potential political hurdles and different things and they've they've fixed all that and it's all on the road, uh, you know, on the way forward. But it's still not in Austinites' minds, I guess, or at least in many of them of kind of, you know, what is this thing that's going to be coming to our town? And, and Austin, uh, you know, my sister lived there for seven years and so she, she knows the town pretty well. And um, Austin is no stranger to kind of having their downtown taken over by giant events. They have uh, music festivals that go on there. There's a festival called South by Southwest. It's a, a very, very big music festival. And then there's a whole interactive conference that's about computer stuff that's all around there. So downtown is taken over by all these events for two weeks straight. And they've got, you know, Austin City Limits, which is a big music thing that goes on there. So there's, there's lots of events and stuff. But having seen, you know, the Montreal downtown uh, during a, a race weekend and Montreal being even a bigger city um, and seeing just how F1, I would say, permeates the city. You don't even have to. I mean, when we were on our way to Iceland going into the Toronto airport, there were signs for Formula One everywhere. We were walking on Jensen Button and Lewis, Lewis Hamilton's face because they have these huge vinyl things on the floor and all that kind of. I mean, Canada as a country is big into the Formula One, let alone Montreal. Yeah, and, and even Montreal, like, you think, okay, there's going to be the track, there's going to be lots of people there, the hotels are going to be booked, you know, and, and all that stuff is true, but every shop window, um, you know, whether they're selling, you know, clothes or candlesticks or whatever, would have, like, F1 stuff in the window, or at least tires, or at least automotive stuff. In some cases, it was, like, you know, snow tires on 14-inch wheels, and you're like, oh, you tried. <laughs> but, um, you know... Well, it, that it, is an inch bigger than a Formula One tire. That's true. Uh, so it really, I mean, it really... Uh, took over the city in a way that I'm not sure Austin is ready for yet, but that that could be fun. I think that's going to be part of what's cool about it. So anyway, um, the track is is coming along. I don't have any like detailed news to bring you to bring our listeners. Unfortunately, I, I would have liked to have gotten a, a tour and some more photos and all but that. But you did try, and that's really right. cool. I mean, I personally hugely appreciate the effort you put into the foresight you had to talk to those guys. It didn't quite work out. But, I, the, you know. Yeah, and there was something cool because um, I'm sort of standing there and it's 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 quiet and peaceful because it's like Texas farmland. 
you know, there's this kind of a rickety fence on the other side of the street and whatever. And I'm like, they're probably going to want to change that before next year. But uh, I just kind of standing there and I, I stood like up on top of some of the construction barrels so I could see over the track. And you just sort of sit there and it's and it's it's quiet and there's like some construction stuff moving off in the distance and just sort of imagining, you know, F1 cars, 20 some F1 cars just tearing around there. And I'm like, that's going to be right here. You know, that's going to be in a year. Uh, and it's, it, I think it's going to be something special. I mean, you, I guess you could say that about outside any F1 track that yes, there's going to be all these cars tearing around, but there is something very cool to sort of see this piece of land that, that is essentially nothing. It right was now. nothing. Yeah. And that the track is starting to be there and that, you know, this is where it's all going to happen. And this is going to be a, a really big deal for us in the U S here. And, uh, and here in the U.S., we like to think of ourselves as a big deal in the world economy and all that. And uh, I think it's really going to be a big deal. And um, and it's not going to be super duper hot. Yeah, that'll be good too. It's not the term I originally want to say, but we're trying to keep it PG here. Yeah, hot as something very hot. <laughs> uh, so the Austin track, the Austin track is going to be cool, and we want to go there. And oh, we will go. There. Other people that are anywhere near it should also go there. And uh, and then it's going to be back to back with Brazil. So this is going to be the second to last race of the season. And if if next season is anything like this or the previous several seasons, it's going to be a very exciting there's race gonna be, to be at live. Yeah, for sure. plenty to be decided, I should say, at the uh, at the track, whether it's for first place or second place in the championship, as things may shape up this year. But uh, that's cool. I, I'm I'm excited about that. And um, I was there, if only to see a bunch of dirt and a bunch of machines moving that dirt around. Hey, that's that's how every great Formula One track is started. I suppose so, unless it's a magical forest in the uh, in the Belgian hillside. But this is not that. This is Texas farmland. <laughs> but the track's going to be tight. I don't mean that as a slam. I mean the track's going to be cool. What? Uh, at least you love Australia. I do. Australians are great. Have I mentioned that today? I feel like I may have. Um, so on the 2012, to finish up the, the 2012 conversation, yes. so far drivers confirmed for 2012. Oh, okay. All right. Right, because we're we're getting to that yep. point. Yep. Ferrari, Alonso and Massa. Yep. McLaren, Mercedes, Button and Hamilton. Yep. Uh, Mercedes, Schumacher. I R- thought Rosberg as well. I thought mm-hmm. Rosberg some fine signed some there's, five year, one hundred fifty million dollar deal or something. Apparently not officially yet. Uh, Red Bull, Sebastian Vettel, and of course. Everyone said, you know, Weber, oh, no, I'm going to be there, blah, blah, blah. It, it, but, Christian Horner yeah. has insisted several times over, and they yeah. said they were going to have it handled over the summer break. Right, so but officially. Likely Weber. Yeah, likely Weber, but. Mm. Not officially Weber. Uh, Lotus, Renault, Robert Kubica, and Vitaly Petrov. Um, Which is a little bit interesting, but. Pending, you pending know, things. Yeah. things. Hey, that's right. Petrov got a two-year deal. That's pretty darn good. Lucky yeah, guy. well, he's, he's, he's holding it down. Uh, Sauber is confirmed with the same guys, Kobayashi and Perez. STR, nobody. Um, well, I should say Force India, nobody. HRT, nobody. Lotus, nobody. Uh, and, and Williams, actually, nobody. Uh, and then Virgin has Glock confirmed, um, but not uh, D'Ambrosio. And as we said, Glock is clearly the stronger teammate there. So there's, Absolutely. there's still some potential for shifting around, mostly in the backmarker kind of teams. But even, you know, a Williams seat, and that's going to be Williams-Renault. Um, and but I do think well two things I do think Williams could have another year of tumultuousness ahead of them they before they probably start climbing will. back up. The other thing is I think as long as Barrichello wants to stay, I think they'll keep him. Yeah. So although it could be the case that we could have a Senna and a Williams Renault, you know, Ooh. which Ooh. has happened before. That's true. That is true. So uh, yeah, whether that means anything or not, you speaking know. Speaking of Senna, oh, I I do have to say just. Simply because I'm excited about it. We are going to watch Senna. Uh, Jim, not for the first time, but 
both of us for the first time in a movie theater. There's a uh, smaller movie theater in Royal Oak, Michigan, that uh, we're going to go to and watch Senna. Yeah, so, so I'm excited about that. Officially premiered in the U.S. and a couple of theaters in New York and actually here in, in Michigan as well yesterday, Friday. And uh, we are going to go see it at the uh, first opportunity that we could because the actual – also the uh, Woodward Dream Cruise has kind of got the whole Royal Oak and Ferndale and, and Woodward area strangled at the moment, I would say. And for those who don't know, it, Woodward is a main street in Detroit. That runs from Detroit, I think, to Pontiac. Yeah, it's just a major corridor, and uh, sort of. And, it's, and the Woodward Dream Cruise is actually Cruise Cruise is the largest single day automotive event ever in the world ever. Um, but which, it's not really an F one event. Right, it's it's a muscle car kind of thing, and it's really a Detroit classic iron. Yeah, type of thing. it's a sort of a traffic cluster challenge. We'll say. We'll say. Um, lots of hydrocarbons in the air, and uh, so not something that we are super keen on, and that makes getting to Royal Oak and the movie theater and all that very very you know busy and difficult. So anyway, but gonna... I mean it's it's cool. It's cool. I mean, there's definitely parts of it that I really enjoy, and there's definitely parts of muscle cars that I really enjoy. But it's not. It's no Goodwood Festival of Speed. We'll put it that we'll way. Put it that way. Wow, would it be great though for like F one cars and Lamar cars and stuff like just tearing up Woodward? That I, would be cool. Would, except that it wouldn't like in that situation it wouldn't be good because they'd be like rub 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 rub. Yeah, it's like here it, they would here just it is not moving. Lot. Yeah, <laughs> in traffic for four hours. Yeah, and, or just being pushed by you know several mechanics for two miles. And the Renaults would explode. Yeah, it'd be bad. <laughs> that, that that would probably be injury to to life and property. Um, what else? I mean, that's we. Uh, I think we've, we've covered everything. We've covered a lot. Uh, so. Um, Shoot, we got to hear from our fans. Yes, and even though there isn't an F1 race, there is also always listener feedback, our favorite part of the show. And we're going to start with F1show.com comments. We had four of them. So I want to give a shout-out to Brian Hoover, uh, Fast African, who did confirm that it is pronounced Fast African. That's well, actually, Which I think we figured out. I mean, it was... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> which is actually... Which is actually why he commented. And he also said, great show, which is uh, great. Uh, also, uh, thanks to Craig the Kilt Wilson um, and Chris Alsop. Hopefully we said Craig's name right that I time. Do. I do. I, it's not Craig. It's Craig. Craig. I think. I think. Um, speaking of unpronounceable names, uh, Nadim's Rakat. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, posted on Facebook. We had a Did you just insinuate that Craig's name was uh, unpronounceable? I don't think it's unpronounceable. I think we just pronounced it wrong. Whose name? Craig! Ah, there it is. <laughs> uh, so we had that discussion about F1 coverage. Yes. And, uh, and you know, who, who gets what in the U.S., you know, not having brilliant coverage uh, for a long time. But um, he, he says, you know, how bad is the coverage in the U.S.? Are there any races live or all delayed? And most of the races are live. Um, right. Qualifyings, even the ones that are shown live, are shown at like a three-minute delay for some reason. Like it's to, so that they can start right on the hour but then have a couple minutes to talk before the actual race action starts. And you wouldn't know this unless you were watching the live commentary or like live timing and scoring on F1.com. And you're like, hey, look, it says that somebody crashed. And then three minutes later, the TV's like, oh, look, somebody crashed. Right. So it kind of ruins the whole liveness of it because if the idea is to have this data, so like while they go to commercial, which of course they do here during all these all sessions and races, um, that you can sort of keep up with what's going on and like just have all the times listed in front of you, it does you no good because you can't sort of tape delay the live timing on F1.com. Right. So you couldn't say, okay, start three minutes late and show me what's happening. So it kind of spoils all the surprises because in something like, Q3, for example, that's a 10-minute session. Three minutes is a huge difference. So you're like, oh, look, there's, on, there's, who's on, it, yeah. there's who's on pole, and just as people are starting to get their nice last set of tires on and all that. So, yes, there are some races live, all but sort of the middle four that we just went through that are on Fox Channel. And those ones, 
are tape delayed by however long it takes to get them to play at noon, basically, and in, uh, in the Eastern Time Zone market that we're in. So it's it's really not not brilliant, but it is okay to watch the races live, and they are they are a little bit delayed, but it's enough where you can watch live live we don't, scoring, and it's okay. It's early enough that it's not even a matter of us getting up to watch the races live. It's a matter of getting up early enough for us to get to one person to the other's house, get set up, and then watch the race live. So it, it it's not the most pleasant thing. And as we mentioned prior, we are not morning people. Right. So then even if we were awake and at, you know, if, you know, we, we worked out the logistics of that, then the podcast we would produce shortly after that race, having been awake for hours at that point. Would be short and sleepy. Would be, yeah, probably not of the quality that F1 show listeners have come to expect. So uh, Nadim continues. Um, they do get mostly qualifying live, and it can vary. The uh, the race, they get li- the re- live, but with lots of ads, which we get as well. They have an hour preview show, an hour preview show, as opposed to with when it's on Fox, we get sort of no preview show, and on Speed, we get a half-hour preview For show. For us, it would just be another half-hour's worth of David Hobbs making noises. And again, with ads. Um, and uh, it's only good when, they, when James Allen or Tom Clarkson are on. Otherwise, they rehash news that I already know, uh, which is kind of the same deal with us. They'll talk about, you know, what has happened in the off weeks, and, of course, we usually keep on top of that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it is, you know, I hate to, to sort of beat this down because this debate, I think, has kind of died down even for, uh, for British fans who've uh, sort of come to accept what's going to be happening to their coverage next year. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's suboptimal. Uh, and also somebody was asking about um, how we get BBC coverage sometime. And, unfortunately, I don't have that comment in front of me because um, it's not that that is broadcast in the U.S. It's that we have ways of going online and finding ways of downloading the races it's probably illegal to do so because we don't pay uk taxes or the bbc license fee jim jim obtains copies. right we have a way um but it's certainly not aired on tv and i guess you know if we're going to have a race that's shown on fox for example and it's going to be delayed by seven hours then that's enough time for the race to be you know somebody can record it and put it online and so on and we can get it so every once in a while we will watch that for some reason or other right. or if my you know machine didn't record for some reason the t rule failed but uh, that is certainly not like broadcast to the U.S. public because of all license deals and, and whatnot. And uh, there's a couple of other people, a bunch of people that uh, chimed in in that comment saying, you know, they, they still watch feeds from from different countries or whatever. Even you know, being in New York, there's a guy that you know he, uh, you know, from China and watches the Chinese feed because it's just better coverage for him. Yeah, sure. And. Uh, you know, as I mentioned, even when we were in Iceland uh, for a race, that it's a country of 300,000 people total. Yes. Yet they have an Icelandic commentary team that does coverage. And it's like, you know, that, that's like a small city here in the U.S. And yet, you know, we have the team that we have. So, right. Anyway, we, we, we don't get the best deal on that. No, but, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where I will say that if BBC America, you know, we do have a BBC America channel. If they were to pick it up, that would be kind of cool. Yeah, I would I would pay for that. I mean, you know, which is again, it's a paid cable channel. It's a sort of a premium channel, um, and you would have to pay for it. So we're still back in the whole pay TV debate. But you know, at least once you pay for it, you get something that is really seems to be uh, worth the money. But uh, anyway, it's uh, that's that's kind of the state of that. And uh, you know, we've got uh, a couple other you know some people complain, you know complaining about Jonathan Lagarde saying, well, hey, you know, not having him is better than uh, better than any of this BBC coverage. So there's still uh, <laughs> a lot of lot of dislike for that man in the uh, BBC commentary world. Yes, absolutely. Now, as always, please, if you want to join the conversation, you can do so many ways. You can tweet us. You can uh, go on the Facebook page, and you can uh, send us an email. The email is feedback at f1show.com, or you can just go to f1show.com. 
or you can find us on Facebook or Twitter. And I don't know that it's Facebook is facebook.com slash F1 show. So this, this is why I do this part. Usually the, you do the, the bottom the, line is visit F1 show.com. That's what I'm trying to say. And there are links to everything else. Yes, from there, there are, including the RSS feed. We fixed that, by the way. That's right. So even if you don't use iTunes or you have friends that don't, you can still listen to our show, and we recommend that you do and that they do as well. But if you do use iTunes, we haven't said this in a couple of uh, podcasts, it'd be worth saying, please, 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 we strongly encourage and appreciate any comments uh, and feedback you can leave on iTunes. Five stars is a wonderful number, and uh, comments are appreciated. Uh, Help others sweet. find the F1 show. Exactly. We appreciate that. Um, so, um, it's a mid-season deal, so we don't have all the other usual uh, show features for you. Uh, we are. We will be back with coverage from Belgium, coverage about Belgium from Michigan, as usual. Um, <laughs> in uh, in Michigan just, is like you know the Belgium of, of uh, the Midwest. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that is just next weekend. So that'll be just in a week's time. And until then, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner, and reminding everyone to check out warnermotorsports.com. There's all kinds of cool T-shirts and stuff, including F1 show shirts and stickers. See you next time.